are new here today, I won't ask you to put up your hand, but I'm going to put up my hand. I'm, I'm new. This is my first time here. And uh, thank you for welcoming us, the whole crew of us. Um, yeah, I just, I feel a big heart coming here. I was, I was saying earlier that when I first arrived at 3CI, it was almost exactly the same as this. We used to meet in a church hall, similar number of people, and I get the similar sense. There's a similar faith and expectation for what God can do. So um, thank you for welcoming us. Um, really good to be here. I've been messaging Daryl during the week. Well, mostly he's been messaging me. I'm a terrible communicator on WhatsApp. So he just sends me WhatsApps, and every now and then I give him the thumbs up. Um, but he is actually right next to my house in Pretoria. So where he is, I've come from, and I've come to where he comes from. So we've almost exactly swapped places. So um, he's uh, at the SA Champs. And I said to him, Fox, surely that's just a formality. We all know who the real SA Champ is. Him going there, it proves nothing. It proves nothing. We all know that Michelle's the real champ. <laughs> we all know. We all know. And he... And, He's <laughs> the fastest pastor. Um, so this morning, I want to share on Galatians 4. So if you, if you have your Bible here or you want to open your app there, we're going to start there just now. But Galatians is an interesting, interesting book. I think, I think there's no other book in the Bible that explains South Africa better than Galatians. You see, Paul, in all the books he writes, all the letters he writes to churches, this is the one where he gets the most upset, the most upset with them. And you would think it's because they're completely out of control, completely wild church that does whatever they want. But that's not the case. That title belongs to the Corinthians. The Corinthians, is, they're just this wild church. Whenever they have a meal, the Corinthian church, people arrive early so that they can eat everything so that no one else will get. That's the Corinthian church. Some of you in life groups have people like that in your life group, but we love them anyway. The Corinthians are crazy. The Galatians are actually quite well behaved. They're a group of churches. They're very well behaved. They know how to do things properly, but Paul is deeply upset. At one point he says, I am perplexed by you. He cannot understand it. He cannot understand them. And so we, we, we're going to read through Galatians 4, but I want you to keep that as the context in your mind. Why would you be upset with people that know how to behave so well? People that on the outside look like they have it all together. And then I'm going to start with something else. So, there are certain events that decide between things. So a couple of months ago, we had the Curry Cup final. Sharks against province. I would like to note the Lions and the Bulls were not even present, but Sharks against province. And the Sharks won. <clears throat> So when that final whistle went of the final game of the season, it was decided who the champions were and who everyone else was. It was the decider. If you ever go to court, and hopefully you don't, as that hammer comes down, it's decided who's innocent and who's guilty, who's liable and who isn't. If you're a student or you're in school, when you write your final exam, and it gets graded and it comes back to you, it's decided whether you are qualified or not, whether you have passed or you haven't. It's the divide. It's the decider between two things. 
And the gospel comes to us and it decides between two things in our lives. What are those two things? Life and death. Straight from the back. <laughs> Life and death. You see, Paul, when he's talking to the Galatians, he fully understands that these are people that have received the gospel, but they are not receiving a life from the gospel. We can receive the gospel, we can receive Jesus and reject the life that it brings to us. And so this church is called Freedom Church. And so Paul, yes, amen, Freedom Church. And the thing that will convict the world more than anything else is not how we behave, but the freedom with which we live. That is the thing that people look to and they cannot understand. The freedom we live with. And when Paul is speaking to the Galatians, they've lost their freedom. They've lost their freedom. And that is more worrying to him than the Corinthians' behavior. And in South Africa, we have this epidemic of religiosity where we know how to behave, but we don't know how to be free. In 1994 we were given political freedom, and yet it still feels like we don't know what freedom is. So let's go through Galatians 4. Um, as we start, any teenagers living with their parents in the room? Quick, quick hand up and down. I want you to amen as I read this first verse. I want you to amen. I am saying that as long as the heir is underage, he is no different than a slave. Amen. Amen. All the teenagers are like, I'm a slave. Oh. All these rules, they just come at me. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also we, when we were underage, were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So the context of this is the heirs that Paul is talking about are the Jews. They are the ones that have inherited a promise given to Abraham, and it is theirs by right. And Paul is saying that even the heirs, even the Jews, are no different to a slave because they have not come to the age set by their father. In my house, for some reason, growing up, that age was the day you paid your own medical aid. I don't know why. So whenever my older brother would argue for getting a motorbike, my dad would say, the day you pay your own medical aid, you can get a motorbike. I don't know why, but that was it. So until the Jews had come to Jesus, they were no different to a child in their father's house having to obey the rules. In the same way, as the majority of this room would be, non-Jews, before we come to Jesus, we are also enslaved to the elemental forces. Some translators put elemental principles of this world. We are slaves to them. We don't have the Mosaic law, the Jewish law, but we have a myriad of other laws. We have the law of Pretoria, or the law of Benoni. We have a law of our family, of our upbringing. We have a law that tells us if, then. See, that's how the Mosaic law was written. If you do this, then this will happen. And if you do this, then that will happen. And the law of Pretoria 
has other statements. If you work hard, then you'll be successful. If you sacrifice for your family, then they will love you. We have a law. Everyone has a law. Maybe not the Mosaic law, but there is a law which we think will bring life. If I do these things, then at the end of it, there's a reward. You see, whether we are a son that is underage before we meet Jesus, like the Jew, or we are a Gentile who has not met Jesus, there is no difference. We live by these principles. So if we skip ahead to verse 19, Paul starts, you can see he's getting frustrated And he says, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one of a slave and one of a free woman. And he introduces two covenants that we can live by. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free born according to the promise. The promise to Abraham, that is. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar, and Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present-day Jerusalem, for she is in slavery. She is in slavery with her children, with all her offspring. But Jerusalem from above is free. She is our mother. And the children of that covenant are free. The two covenants come through again and again throughout the Bible. The two ways in which we live. And we we think we understand. But actually sometimes in me, I find there's the covenant that belongs to the slave woman trying to operate. So in Genesis 11... There's a group of people, and they decide that if they do something, then they can have the reward for that. And they say, come, let us build a city with a tower, with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. So they say, we're going to build a great city, and we're going to build a great tower. And the city will keep us safe, and the tower will give us a great name. And if we do that, then our names will be great. It's the Tower of Babel they tried to build, and they never succeeded. They never got to the end of the if. They failed the if. They didn't build the city. They didn't build the tower. One chapter later, God introduces the other covenant, which we can live by. He goes to Abraham, and he says, come, he says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Everything the builders of the Tower of Babel wanted, God promised Abraham based on nothing. He says, I will do it. I will make your name great. I will build you a nation. And I will bless those that bless you, and I will dishonor those who dishonor you. And that promise gets passed down, but it doesn't get passed down to Ishmael. It gets passed to Isaac. And that is the covenant that Paul is talking about in Galatians 4. There are two women, one of the flesh and one of the covenant. That promise is passed to Ishmael, goes to Jacob, to all of Israel, and it gets passed down to the Jews. And when the time set by our Heavenly Father came, Jesus came, and we were adopted into that promise. That the things, the ifs and the thens that we can work for, 
are ours not because we have achieved them, but because our Father comes to us and He says they are yours. Mm. Like a slave, you see, we, we, we hear the slave and this, the context of slavery, we think about slavery in terms of the West African slave trade, which is a terrible, terrible slave trade. If you had to choose what type of slave to be, do not choose a West African slave. But slavery in that context, and it helps us understand some of Jesus' parables, was that if you owed money and you couldn't pay it back, the person you owed the money to could have you thrown into prison, which for us sounds like a funny thing, because how can someone in prison repay their debt? But they would throw you in prison, and that prison was where someone could come and pay your debt for you, and then you would be their slave until the debt was paid. So they would take you and your whole family into prison and you would wait there until someone with the means to repay what you owed would come and pay that and you would be their slave. And it wasn't a permanent thing. It was sort of a bit like a contract. You were a slave for a set amount of time until the day set by your slave master and then you had your freedom again. So you, owing X amount of money, thrown into prison, someone comes along and you hope you hope it is a kind slave master. They come, they pay your debt for you, and the terms normally were seven years. For seven years, you would work back the amount, and in the seventh year, you were free. So for seven years, you would work for this person like a slave, looking forward to the day set where you would be free. And in that time, you would want to stay on the right side of your slave master. You didn't want to upset them because it can be a difficult seven years or it could be an easier seven years but you're doing it because one day the promise will come where you will have your freedom and you see when we serve the law we serve it in that way when we serve any law we serve it in that way that we're waiting for the day when the service that we are putting in will pay out so we behave ourselves in a certain way, thinking that that behavior will get us to that day and we will have our freedom. But what the law doesn't tell you is that that day never comes. The day never comes where you have your freedom. You can work and work and work and try to achieve something and it just never comes. You see, why did God give the law to the Jews if that was the case? Well, it was the kindest possible slave master for them. They could have served many other ifs and thens, but he gave them the kindest one. There's a problem with it, though. It cannot bring life. No law can bring life. I'm going to try to illustrate this with two examples, or an example, an analogy, because sometimes we, we feel like, yes, law bad, freedom good, but then when it comes to it, we actually, I find in me that law is still operating. In my marriage, there's an if and a then. So I have for my wife, if, if we can do it this way, then, then it will be right. If I behave this way, then, and if I do this, then, when actually the gospel's the other way around. I should give my wife all of that unconditionally, that there's no if to come afterwards. I should treat my children that way. I've got one daughter and I've got one on the way. 
And I hope that they can grow up in a home where their father is more concerned about what they're becoming than how they behave. But I find in me that I'm more concerned about how I behave than what I'm becoming. So I went to, um, as an example, I went to uh, a boarding school in high school. And um, there was a rule set by my father before I had gotten to the age where I could do what I wanted that I would phone home every Sunday. That was kind of the rule. And uh, to give my age away, we would still phone on the ticky box. So you would go, and then you'd do like a reverse charge call because you got no money, and, and the call would go through and you would phone home. And if I didn't, my father wouldn't like hound me. He would just wait for me to phone because eventually I needed something. <laughs> eventually. And I would phone, and then you would say, oh, is this our long lost son who returns eventually? <laughs> and slowly over time, I learned just to phone every Sunday. Phone home. That was the rule. That was the law. So I would phone home and would talk, and that was every Sunday. And there's a funny thing in our family, I'm one of four children, that to this day we all still phone home on Sundays. We still phone home. In fact, when my parents go overseas, we phone each other because we feel like we've got to phone someone. <laughs> and so you, you hear that example and you think, oh, okay, I get it. So, so there's a rule, there's a law. You must phone home. And you start to obey the rule and the law, and eventually it becomes eternal, internal. Eventually I start to own it just because of what it is. If that was the case, Paul wouldn't be upset with the Galatians. They were obeying all these things, but he knew it was never going to become internal. That phoning home was never going to become internal because of the rule. It became internal Because as I grew up, I realized my father valued family. And he would build bridges with family members. And he would talk to them and contact them and keep the relationship going. Not for the sake of the relationship, but because he valued family. And as I grew up, I caught that more than I caught the habit of phoning home. And when we follow the law... We think that the law is the thing that's going to give us who we're going to become. It's not. It's our Father. It's the Spirit inside of us that makes us cry, Abba, Father. We inherit who our Heavenly Father is. We do not inherit what He does. See, God is more concerned about who you're becoming than how you're behaving. God is way more concerned about who you are becoming than how you are behaving. That's not to say how you behave means nothing. But he can ignore that if he can get your heart. Because if he has who you are becoming, how you behave becomes irrelevant. We become by nature those that obey our Heavenly Father. We become like him. So you say, okay, I'm still not, I'm still not quite getting this. So we, we, we become like our Heavenly Father. Let me use an analogy. I arrived here. Uh, there's a bit of grass out here. That's good. Grass is, grass is the analogy. So I bought a house a couple of years ago with a bit of a garden. Um, and the previous owner had a scorched earth policy. It was just like, <laughs> if it grew more than that, it was gone. So there was nothing. Nothing. And houses with gardens are better than houses with not, no gardens. So we... 
So now, if I had to give you a house and say, there must be a beautiful garden. And you say, okay. And then I'd give you a list of all the weeds that are not in beautiful gardens. You shouldn't find blackjacks in beautiful gardens. You couldn't, shouldn't find paper thorns in beautiful gardens. You shouldn't find, and list all the plants. And I say, great. You go and you remove, like I did, all of those plants from that garden. Because you see, there was scorched earth. The previous owner moved out. Three weeks later, I moved in, and there were weeds everywhere. And the first day of gardening, we collected eight big black bags of weeds from a garden in three weeks of growth. You see, there's this funny thing. When you leave ground barren, it doesn't stay that way. Something will grow. Something will grow. Weeds grow in empty ground. But over the years, as we've pulled out weeds and we've planted other plants, slowly we don't weed as much. We did some gardening yesterday, and it was a little bucket of weeds we pulled out of the entire garden. And it's not because the ground has changed. The ground is exactly the same. It's because there's something else growing there. You see, you can take a handful of blackjack seeds, and you can go outside here on this grass, and you can sow it everywhere. It will only grow where the grass is not already growing. It will only grow where the grass is not already growing. And so we can observe the law in every way possible. We can go into that garden and we can pull out every weed, every single one, every day we can do that. And in the end, we will have empty ground because the law does not bring life. The law cannot bring life. What we need is for something else to grow over there, for something else to grow. And then we have God's intent. You see, we inherit not the behavior of our heavenly father. We inherit his character, his nature, and his heart. And that is way higher than the law. I want to read one more verse coming from Galatians 3. Um, sorry, from, coming from Colossians. And it explains to us why, why the law is so useless. From Colossians 2. Don't, don't, I'll just read it. Don't bother turning there. If with Christ you died to the elemental principles of this world, there's that phrase again, the elemental principles of this world, why, as if you were still alive in this world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. Just like the Babylonians, if we do this then, and if we don't do this then, all those regulations referring to things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom, it's almost like it's self-evident. An appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. And here's the kicker. But they have no value in restopping indulgences of the flesh. You can be married and you're following all the rules, but the indulgence of the flesh can override all the rules you put in place. You can have everything in place to not watch pornography, but when the flesh gets hold of you, those rules don't actually help you. The thing that helps us is the spirit inside of us that makes us cry, Abba, Father. We need that thing inside of us. From Galatians 3.21, If the law then, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not, for if 
a law. It says, if a law, any law, had been given that could bring life, then the law would indeed bring life. If any law, any law, Benoni's law, Pretoria's law, your family's law, the law of being a white South African, the law of being a black South African, the law of working hard, the law of being an entrepreneur and being your own boss. If any law could bring life, it would be this law, and it didn't. Yeah. Only Christ brings life. Yeah. Only our adoption as sons into a family brings life. And only that life can grow over barren ground. Only that life puts something in us that makes us become something more than makes us behave like something. So you see, to go back to that example of phoning home, in my family, we value family. And that's not something I chose to be. That's something I inherited. I inherited it from my parents. But I've inherited many things from my parents. I'm thankful that most of those are good. And that's not to say anything negative about my parents. But from every parent, you inherit both good and bad. But we have a new heavenly father. And my hope for Freedom Church is that we inherit from that father more than we inherit from our earthly fathers. That we inherit life and freedom. Because that is the life and the freedom that is a signal to this world that we actually get the gospel. So the gospel comes and it divides. And we can believe and we can be saved. That's what, we talk, what we're talking about. We can receive Christ. And in areas of our life, we do not live with that freedom. And Paul looks at the Galatians and he gets angry because they look to the law to bring life. And the law is never going to bring it for them. And he's upset because it is almost better to be a person in complete rebellion than to be a person that trusts the law for life. At least the person in rebellion has the chance of coming to their senses. In the story of the prodigal son, the younger son comes to his senses before the older son. Both the younger son and the older son didn't want anything to do with their father. But the younger one came to his senses first. Should we pray? Father God, I thank you that we are called by your name. That we do not have to trust in our own effort. We do not have to trust in a covenant that states if we do this then. But we trust in the promise, just like you gave to Abraham, that you will do what you say you will do. And we receive it as sons. We get to inherit it. Father God, I pray that as we, as we spend time with you, as, we, as your spirit is in our hearts that we begin to inherit the things that the world will work for. We inherit them by nature simply because we are in this family. We are in the family of our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, would you, would you put adoption into us? Would you put that spirit into us that we would become sons of our Heavenly Father? We believe that we have been adopted, but Father, I pray that we would take on the nature that adoption. Amen.